This afternoon, I'm speaking to His Excellency Brendan O'Quayley, Ambassador of Ireland. Welcome, Brendan, and thank you for joining me. Well, I'm delighted to have this opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners. Yes, and thank you. And it's so lovely to speak to somebody who knows how to pronounce my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a beautiful name. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, and I like the um, the fact that you have the accent, the father, on the A. So, yeah, so I have the same, as you know, in my name. So uh, sometimes missed by it or so. It's, it's lovely to be talking, as I said. People don't seem to understand the importance of putting the accent on in terms of pronunciation. Could you explain a little bit about that? Well, I suppose it's like in French and other languages where we use the accent to accentuate a letter, and it usually means the sound is more is is more round and broader. So, Brendan in English becomes Brendan, and Anne. I suppose, becomes on you because you're accentuating. So it's just the rich diversity of languages, and Irish is not unique, but, well, it's unique for us. But, uh, I mean, the um, so I suppose English is, has, has doesn't have, or virtually doesn't, unless it's a loan word from another language. So English speakers usually aren't as attentive, but, but uh, we're very proud. I'm very proud of the uh, how we use the Irish language and how so many of our names are... Uh, you can't pronounce Irish names properly unless you're aware of what the accent or what the, the father, as we call it in the Irish language, does for the, the vowel sound. But there you are. That's my linguistic little lesson today. Yeah, it's, uh, but it's very important to have these cultural connections, I think, with language and ha- speaking the language of your country. Absolutely, I suppose. Being an Irish speaker and it being a minority language, even in Ireland itself, you become aware of the rich diversity of different languages. And here in Australia, which has so many, I mean, we have both those who've come from overseas. But if you think of the incredible richness and diversity of indigenous languages here, and that's what makes the world an incredibly interesting place. It's lovely to hear people speaking their own languages and it adds to all our richness. I mean, I don't understand any uh, indigenous language, but I know the world is richer for the fact that the, the indigenous languages of Australia are there and languages right across the world. I, I, I speak French, Italian, well, English, obviously, I have some Spanish, and I just regard them as beautiful. And I'd love, to, I'd love to learn other languages. It just gives you a window into other cultures and other ways of, of looking at the world. So it, it, it enriches all of us that so many beautiful and, and culturally rich languages exist around us. Mm. And we are going to be talking about culture a little bit today with All Hallows Eve or Halloween coming up on, on Saturday Indeed. on the 31st of October. But before that, I'd like to know a little bit about yourself and whereabouts you come from in Ireland. Well, I'm from Dublin and uh, some some listeners who know me will laugh when I make, I'm particularly proud of the fact I come from the north side of Dublin, <laughs> a neighbourhood called Cabra West. It's very near the Phoenix Park, if anybody knows Dublin. It's only about two miles from the city centre of Dublin, O'Connell Street from the GPO, it's about two miles. And uh, I went to primary and secondary school there and uh, played Gaelic football and hurling there and played soccer as we all did as well. It's, uh, it's, it's, I was back there in January for uh, diplomats in the classroom and I visited the secondary school I went to and the local primary school and it's becoming, as Ireland is, a much more diverse um, 
community, much more international. When I grew up, everybody in the neighborhood came from the neighborhood, whereas now there's people from different parts of the world. And that, as we were just talking about languages, that adds to the richness and uh, diversity, and it reflects a very much changed Ireland that uh, we now have the great richness of people coming, immigrating to Ireland. Sadly, we've been emigrated for so many centuries that it's lovely to see that now Ireland's in a position where people uh, are immigrating into Ireland. We have now such an, a population which which includes, uh, I think, 16% of the people living in Ireland were not born on the island of Ireland. Mm. And almost the exact same percentage of people born on the island, 16%, I think it is, are living outside Ireland. So Ireland is now following the pattern of most European Union countries that we are welcoming people from all over the world, certainly from other parts of Europe, but all over the world. And that means that Ireland's culture is going to be enriched by all those people. And of course, it's called Ireland of the Welcomes, and it must be because of the welcome that's given to people who are coming from other countries, which I'm I'm really pleased to hear that there's a greater diversity, but also there's a richness of, of culture in Ireland that many people don't know very much about the background uh, of the mythologies and so forth of, of Ireland. Well, absolutely. I suppose we have our own very distinctive, unique indigenous culture based in its earliest origins in Celtic mythology and Irish being a Celtic language. And we brought that richness. We we have an English language culture and we have an Irish language culture. And many would say that our culture, our literature in the English language is as rich as it is because we have the two languages and because we have two uh, mutually enriching cultural strands, one that comes from the English tradition and one that comes from the Irish Gaelic tradition. Mm. Mm. And you were talking about the history, the the background with the Celtic, the mythology of Ireland. Yeah, yeah. If you think of it, that each season in Ireland is is conceived uh, differently. I mean, this is in Ireland. October is forward, which means the end of autumn. So at the end of autumn comes winter, and it's. A dramatic change, obviously, or can be a dramatic change in the northern hemisphere, and the the softness and beauty of, of summer is gone, and autumn has has brought about different richness in the colours of trees and deciduous trees, etc. And then winter becomes, and it's not too harsh in Ireland, but it's 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 a change. So the Celts were were very mindful of the changes of they were much closer to the land and depended more on it and they attributed very magical qualities to the various changes in the year so in at this time of the year we're coming into halloween and the changes uh, that that brings and that was very strongly influenced still is today influenced by celtic tradition mm. i've got a terrific book on uh, Mythic Ireland by Michael Dams. I don't know whether you've read it. It's a, it's a real academic piece, uh, and it talks about uh, all sorts of things about Finn McCool and, and in some ways it's very interesting in that, uh, the creation. It's almost like a creation story that the Australian Indigenous people have, and we have something very similar in Ireland about how various stones got to places, um, yeah. it refers to Nokadoon and uh, Nok Anya 
and uh, all all sorts of you know the the giant's causeway and how all of these things were created so and it's thousands of years ago that these stories um this was purported to have happened and then the stories being handed down through through no, i suppose through I, I, song and vo- voice and verse and so on Absolutely. I think it's very similar in many ways to the song lines of indigenous and uh, Aboriginal cultures here in, in Australia, that people um, came up with their own explanation as to how parts were, um, uh, the um, country was created. There's a great uh, epic tale, I think it comes from around the 8th or 9th century, it's in the manuscripts, and it's Oshin, uh, the son of Finn McCool, bringing it going around the country with St. Patrick, who was the new Christian and was replacing the old Celtic beliefs, the old Celtic gods, the old Celtic religion. And he brings Patrick to various places and he explains why this place is called that and where it comes from and the magical place. I can remember the place, one place of them was Athlone. You mentioned Giant's Causeway, which is one of the most fantastic stories because it's Finn McCool and his rival, a giant in Scotland. And they were throwing stones at one another. And then one decided that he would build a pathway from Ireland to Scotland so they could fight more. Um, so that's what the Giants, that's why the Giants Causeway is is called the Giants Causeway, because that was going to be the, the pathway. So the great stories, I mean, they're, they're great stories. And now they're great stories for, for entertainment. I mean, but as you say, at one time, they actually were an attempt by a traditional people with no background in science to explain how the countryside came to be the way it is. And they're still lovely stories, and they give great explanations uh, as to why place names are what they are and why the place looks like it is. So it's an incredibly rich part of our culture, and it's a very much a cross-fertilization between Celtic culture, Gaelic culture, and subsequent um, English language culture. Mm. And, I, I, of course, I grew up here in Australia, but my father and... Um, immigrated in 1949 and then all of the family came out including my grandparents and there were many stories that were told uh, about uh, various different uh, things that happened uh, which you know and my grandfather believed in fairies and he said there was that people came the fairy people built a house where the fairies lived and the fairies were throwing everything out because it was the fairy's pathway yeah. or something. It was there, there, fascinating. There are lovely stories about that. And, and actually, I think in a very funny way, it actually very much overlaps with kind of the concern for the environment now because a lot of these were very ancient places. They were either burial places or places of some religious or other attachment. But they were also beautiful places and the fairy rats, as they were called, were often very unique uh, biodiversity, little microcosms, and I suppose in modern parlance we'd be looking to protect them for environmental reasons. But historically, as you say, there's a lovely story. Anybody who's interested in this type of thing, um, I, it's it's the folklore, the national folklore collection collected by University College Dublin, and a lot of it is online now. And there are great stories. There was one interview with an old lady, and I've forgotten where the interview was, um, but she was asked, "Did she believe in the fairies?" And she said, of course I don't believe in the fairies, but they're there anyway. Oh, uh, well, my grandfather was asked by the ABC News 
at an Irish National Association ball back in the 1950s whether or not he believed in fairies. And he looked around just to make sure no one was listening and he said, oh, they're in it all right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remember as a child and just growing up in a working class neighbourhood in Dublin at certain times of the year, particularly around this time, particularly around Halloween, if you heard an unusual noise or an inexplicable noise or you found a comb, a hair comb on the ground, your explanation always was that was the banshee. Mm. Now, we didn't know what the banshee was, but we knew it was some malviolent thing that wasn't good. We thought it was a woman who used to sit on a high wall at the back of the shops in, a, in an urban area. And, you know, we as children believe that, that, uh, you know, and it was you made sure you weren't on your own going down certain streets. This is in, in, with streetlights and all the rest, but we still, even we in an urban environment, had a very pronounced, <laughs> for want of a better word, appreciation of the ancient folklore. Mm. And, of course, many people think with Halloween, they believe that these festivities originated in America, but that's not the case, is it? Absolutely not. It's always the, it always causes us great annoyance when people say, oh, it's a big American festival. We say, of course, it is a big American festival. And one of the reasons it's a big American festival is the Irish brought it there. The Irish being amongst the, first, you know, the longest and, and at one point the most numerous of immigrants, particularly into the urban areas of northeast United States and the big cities. And, of course, we brought with us lots of different, and Halloween is one of them. But we're definitely, if you check our, our social media the Twitter account of the embassy and the Twitter account of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade and other colleagues around the world. We're definitely, we're not reclaiming it because it always was ours, but we're asserting the fact that Halloween is an Irish Celtic festival and most of the traditions associated with it have their origins in Ireland. And we're very proud of that fact. And we're very happy to share it with the United States. We're very happy to share it with Australia. And wherever in the world people want to just have an excuse for a good bit of fun and a party, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, as I say, at this time of the year when the weather is changing to be less pleasant than it is mm. normally. With the origins of it, and I think they called it Samhain uh, yeah. in, in, in Celtic times, it was that you were talking about the four uh, the four distinct times of the year or, or seasons of the year, and this is basically it marks the end, does it not, of the the year as it is, and then going into a new year. And there was a perception that on All Hallows Eve that perhaps there was a, a thinner veil between life and death, and that the deceased might be able to pass through that. And so there's been a lot of practices that sort of came out of that, sort of an end of harvest and celebrations. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I suppose, as you say, it was it, it is the end of the growing season. It's when nature dies off and goes into hibernation and sleeps for the winter months. And so it generally involved, it certainly involved with us as children that we feasted on whatever was available and we'd also dress up and we'd go around the various neighbourhoods. They they say trick-or-treat now, which is appalling to my ear. We used to say help the Halloween party and we'd uh, we'd canvas people uh, for, for fruit, nuts, sweets, candy, whatever. 
and there was retribution for those who weren't as generous as they might have been. So uh, it was kind of a time for a playful, you know, a slight, a slight, a slight uh, degree of misbehavior. I wouldn't emphasize it, but just a kind of a naughtiness, I think, would be the word I'd use. That those who weren't as generous or weren't generous at all or were unwelcoming. Uh, so it was always a good idea to have a basket, what people would often have, a basket of goodies, uh, sweets and maybe fruit, apples, nuts were a big favorite. And we'd go from door to door dressed up in our Halloween costumes. And as I say, our, our phrase was help the Halloween party. But it was a great time of the year. People were invariably very generous, great spirit. And uh, there were bonfires as well. Again, the old pagan thing of frightening away the evil spirits that you you lit bonfires to to ward off evil spirits and again it was pure Celtic uh, pre-Christian belief uh, and it was a great time of the year and it was it was particularly great because we knew it, we were going into winter and it was a great celebration and uh, as I say an entire neighbourhood would be they would have children, hundreds of children, uh, circulating the neighbourhood, collecting goodies from from generous neighbours, and it was a great time of the year. Mm. I had my grandson in stitches about this piece that I read off something on the internet that said that uh, that in the past, that after they'd had the feast of the food and the fire and so forth, that they'd leave the doors and windows open at that night so that the dead could come in and eat cakes that had been left for them and he, he he was in stitches with this so I'm wondering whether or not that still happens these days do people still bake a special kind of cake I think they were called soul cakes in some cases but uh, do they still do that and and carry on that kind of tradition and I, I think I think that 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 was easy. I grew up in an urban environment. It was probably more done in in more rural areas. Uh, sadly, uh, you would not leave your windows open in, as in most cities. You wouldn't, particularly at that time of the year. It's very cold, and then sadly, there's also the possibility of of uh, burglary in that. But but the traditions are still very strong, and the 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 as you were saying, the kind of the the fact that the Celts believe the gap between this world and the next world or the spirit world was was open at this time of the year and, and spirits could come back into this world. That was very much part of it. And of course, there's lots of other traditions. The, bake, the, the main tradition we would have had, either mother would bake it or it would be bought in the store, is the barn brack. And into that, we would place various things, uh, like there, there was always a ring, there might be a little stick, and there might be a little, um, what was the other one, cloth. And each one represented what you might be going to do in later life. Are you going to marry? Are you going to be wealthy? What are you going to have? You know, uh, what what your life can... So there was a sort of a... a, a, a fortune telling. A fortune telling of sorts in a kind yeah. of a gentle way. But again, look, I think people... We, we knew this was fun. It was a way of extracting largesse from your neighbours and judging that. But there was the Celtic thing, as you're saying, of the religious thing as well. And it was interesting, I suppose, that as usual in, in situations like that, when Christianity became to assert itself in Ireland, they kind of Christianized or they took the Celtic they took the Celtic festivals and Christianized them or gave them a Christian identity. And I mean like St Bridget's Day was originally uh, a pre Christian celebration. Uh, so the same with Halloween, it 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 was Christianized. So when the culture in Ireland changed from 
predominantly pre-Christian pagan to predominantly Christian in of the recent decades, uh, that changed the nature of the celebration and the how it's celebrated the next day in particular, as you know. Mm. So all of these sort of activities are very important. I, I remember um, my father telling me about a headless horseman and going and staying with his uncle Patty and he was there and they'd gone to bed and there was a knock on the door and he went down to answer it and there was nobody there and he went back up and then and then they heard another knock on the door and they'd heard horses' hooves outside and Uncle Patty had said to put the kettle on to make a cup of tea but he looked again and there was still the horses' hooves. Anyway, my father put newspaper in his shoes because this was back in the 19... I think early 1930s and they didn't have very much money in the West Coast where he was growing up. And he walked all the way from Kilfenora to Galway <laughs> the next day. But there is this uh, um, mythology of a, a headless horseman, which many attribute to American stories, but actually it comes from Ireland as well. So there's many, many of these different um, creatures, I suppose. Well, <laughs> Well, we had our own very localised one in Cabra because we're not far from the old law courts, well, not the old, they still are the law courts. And I haven't even checked the history of this. So this is the folklore as I learned it as a child. So I don't actually know the history of this, but I'm going to say what I knew as a child. And there was a, a trial judge in particular called Lord Norbury, N-O-R-B-U-Y, Norbury, no, B-R-Y, Norbury. And he convicted some men, and the feeling was it was an unjust conviction. And at a place called Cabra Cross, where he lived in a big house, uh, he was shot one night, and mm. his head was blown off. But we as children were told that at midnight every night, Lord Norbury went down the main street in our neighbourhood, and if you were a bold boy or girl, Lord Norbury would take you away. So it really helped us all focus on being good boys and girls. <laughs> Uh, because we didn't want to be taken by the headless. He carried his his head underneath his arm, if I remember correctly. As I say, I haven't checked the history of this. This is pure folklore from my own neighbourhood uh, on the north side of Dublin, where we had the, the the ruin of the house was still there up to recent times, I think. And as I say, it's only it's less than two miles uh, from the law courts on the the Liffey in the north bank of the Liffey. So that's that's the folklore as I learned. I've no idea the history, and I don't want to. I don't want to ruin my understanding as a child by studying the history. So Lord Norbury, uh, with his head underneath his arm, going down the main street in Cabra at midnight. That was that was enough fright for me. <laughs> well, it's fantastic, and that's the great opportunity with these events and these special events is to be able to talk openly about things such as that that occurred and. And around a fire, perhaps, and sharing of food okay. and uh, as a community. And I want to go to now some of the issues because now we've got COVID affecting daily life across the world. And I'm wondering how Halloween's going to be celebrated or Samhain, if we want to call it that, will be celebrated yeah. here or at home in Ireland. Yeah, well, let's start here. I, I, we're delighted and we, we've supported to the extent we can the various Irish communities around Australia. I was just looking at it. I think we've tweeted on our Twitter account. We've had, you know, there's events in uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, here in Canberra, and then Perth, and I'm sure Sydney and sadly, I presume not in Melbourne this year, but, um, you know, events right across with the Irish communities across 
Australia are benefiting from this, and I suppose particularly at this time, given all the stress and strain that are on individuals and communities right across the country, it's great to have a bit of fun and distraction, and certainly Halloween was always that. It's going to be very curtailed, as you were saying, in Ireland, because the uh, we're down at stage five, uh, effectively a lockdown for the next five weeks mm. in Ireland. COVID has, has, very, has hit Ireland quite heavily. And therefore, the restrictions are, you know, for public health reasons, are quite restrictive and have to be, sadly. And I suppose that's changed the nature of it. I think there's a, I think the great thing about, you know, one of the few positives that have developed out of COVID-19 is we've discovered other ways of celebrating in community. And, you know, I've been involved in a number of events, online events, where we've had music sessions, where we've had uh, trivia pursuit quizzes, where we've had uh, even conferences of more serious nature. And I think that's where a lot of this is going to happen in Ireland and across Europe and indeed across the United States. Uh, We're luckier here in some cities, I mean, in in Perth and Canberra, and I was on business in in Adelaide last week, and they're still, you know, comparatively, comparative to European cities, open open cities. So I know Adelaide Irish Centre are planning a Halloween festival, the Canberra Irish Centre here in Canberra. So I'd encourage people to look at the website in October, the end of October, the the night before the uh, sound. So... There are things happening. We have to be careful. We have to respect COVID-19 restrictions. We have to make sure that we don't do anything that that will be injurious to other people or ourselves indeed. But look, the main thing is, I suppose, we can still have, we're Irish, it's in our DNA to have fun. Uh, We've overcome the adversities before and we'll have to do so again. But Halloween is always a great festival and it's a great it's almost an optimistic time, despite the fact that we're talking about the end of autumn, despite the fact we're talking about winter, despite the fact that we're talking about you know, nature going to sleep. We've always found fun, and I think we'll find some way of respecting COVID-19 and having fun for Halloween. That's my wish and prayer for everyone. Mm. And in Australia, because on this show I talk a lot about mental health and well-being and we we know that there's been higher rates of anxiety and depression and people using telehealth services and there's also been deep concerns for some people's well-being where people have become seriously uh, depressed with uh, job losses and, and various different uh, things like that that are impacting them and their families. How has COVID-19 affected mental health and well-being of community members in Ireland? Well, I think about Ireland and Australia. I mean, obviously, the, it's been particularly difficult for people who, you know, people living on their own or people in very confined circumstances. It's very challenging. And there has been, you know, there has been additional resources put into helping people and particularly as you were touching on the mental health issue that's very important and I suppose also encouraging people within the restrictions of COVID-19 to reach out to their neighbour and some people who are housebound in particular are very dependent on that and I think their physical as well as their mental welfare is a challenge and the government have been encouraging people um, and I know there's been an increase in online demand and online services for mental health people but uh, but as I say, resources are there, and I suppose there's always been very good networks through the Samaritans and Lifeline and others. 
that provide these services. And if I can just touch on it here in Australia as well, mm. uh, we, as in the, through the Emigrant Support Programme of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, the Irish Government's support programme for emigrant population overseas, uh, we've been able to get additional resources for the four advice agencies we fund here. So there's one in Perth, there's one in Sydney, there's one in Melbourne, and there's one in Brisbane. And we've also been able to help other groups as well. So, and attaching, the, you know, recognizing the demands being made on those organizations because they already have, you know, identified community members of our community, members of the Irish community in those respective cities I mentioned, uh, who need the assistance, and particularly so at this time. Mm. So they've been able to reach out. Uh, in a fantastic way to support those people. So that's 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 the main way we've been dealing with it, mm. uh, supporting those efforts. Can you name those organisations and how people could get in touch if they needed to? Well, there's the CADA Association in in um, Perth, and um, what people could do is go online and check uh, with dfa.ie forward slash Canberra. That's where we have it on our website. But the CADA Association in Perth, in Western Australia. The Irish Support Agency in in Sydney, uh, the Irish uh, Support Agency in Melbourne, and the Irish Support Agency in Queensland. That's the one in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And a- they have uh, they've been tr- they've been given extra support to try and help the Irish communities in those respective cities, as I say. That are facing the challenges. Some people, as you know, particularly people who are housebound, and they've been able to help them by, you know, people calling or by people dropping off uh, support packages. And then also we're working with them in, in in being able to respond more fully to the health, mental health needs of people. We've been identifying that, and we've been working on that, and both skilling up and also reaching out to those people. It's really important for people to feel connected, and I'm imagining that many because we, you know, people can't travel so much, and and going home to Ireland uh, for Christmas or for a special occasion, or even for the passing of somebody. My aunt passed away last year, and it was before COVID, but we it happened so suddenly we weren't able to go back mm. for the funeral. And so these are sort of it's significant to be able to speak to somebody about the feelings around the not being able to be with your own people. Uh, I think is really important, and it's great that you've got that capacity. I know we've got the Cordon Heron here, a Friends of Ireland Association, yes, which holds events at the uh, Irish uh, Club over in in Western there. Yeah. And they've got activities for Halloween as well, which is why we're talking about it. It's about remaining connected and, and being active there. No, I think you're absolutely right. And that's that's one of the things that we've been we've, we've identified the need for. And as you say, the Irish Centre here in Canberra and the Friends of Ireland have, have organised activities. And we're having the particular, they're having the particular uh, celebration of, of, of sound of uh, Halloween and it's, it's very important, and I suppose we encourage people to the extent possible, and again, subject to the restrictions of COVID-19, to reach out to their neighbour, reach out to their friend, mm-hmm. or some person they, uh, within the Irish community that they feel 
mm. you know, may just need a phone call, and I think that's useful, and then maybe follow up in whatever way appropriate. But as I said, the vice agencies are there. The Irish Centre is here. There's an Irish Centre in Adelaide as well. And they're all kind of open to um, helping people that have facing particular challenges. It is a difficult time. Even those of us who have friends and we have great colleagues here in the embassy, we all feel the stress and strain. It's difficult. We, I wasn't able to travel home this year. Uh, myself and my wife, we became grandparents in June. A little baby boy, a daughter had a baby boy. Mm-hmm. We have we see him on WhatsApp, but we can't hold him and kiss him and love him and tell him how much we love him and his mother. And I mean, we feel that, and uh, we're in a privileged position, I recognise. But we haven't been able to travel home, and lots of other people are the same. Uh, when my wife is an elderly uh, mother. It's you know the difficulty of not being able to see her and being there. And, you know, we all feel it, and some people feel it more because they don't have other active support and they're not part of an active community because of their uh, ill health or their mobility issues. So, again, as I say, I think the important thing is to reach out if you're not feeling well, if you're not feeling in good form, reach out to either one of those agencies, reach out to some other helpline or somebody else and look for the help because it is there and people are generous, and I think those of us who are in a more privileged position, it's incumbent on us to make sure that we do what we can to help people who are, you know, finding this tougher. Mm. And and how will you be celebrating on Saturday? Uh, it was always it was always it's a favourite time of the year as a child, and I've kind of maintained it. I'll have a Barney Brack, a Barn Brack. Um, we sometimes do what we had uh, recently here. In Canberra's I minute, mean, we had a we had a celebration called Halfway to St Patrick's Day. <laughs> it was back in September, <laughs> and it was at Pialigo, and we um, we had a menu which included um, various things, including Col Cannon, which I mentioned. Well, I mentioned something similar in Barnbrack. Col Cannon was a mix of curly K and potato mash, and um, mixed in with ingredients, and that's the one we also put in sticks and uh, other stuff as a predictor of that. So uh, having, uh, maybe having, we'll, uh, we'll have to decide, we may have some cold cannon again. We did have it back in September, as I said, for the halfway to St. Patrick's Day. So that was the traditional one, cold cannon. It was the traditional dish and um, barn brack, mm. brown, brown, brown cake with, with um, raisins and other lovely nuts and other lovely things in it. So that'll be hopefully what we'll be celebrating. Mm. My dad said, uh, of course, he came from Kilfenora. He said that uh, the the cold cannon had cream straight from the cow and uh, cabbage and onion and uh, some bacon sometimes in there. So that's what he used to have. But my mother used to make um, Irish soda bread. So I'll be making Irish soda bread, but I'll be putting I'll be putting the fruits through it myself. Yeah. It, it, it was a great time to use up all those ingredients that yeah. you know were, were left in the cupboard, left in the press that you hadn't used for other events, and mm. you could mix everything in either the cold cannon or the Barney Brack, the Barn Brack. Uh, they were great for that. So it's a lovely time of the year. And it, it's it's a warming, kind of reassuring feeling at a time. As you say, we're going into the depth, beginning of the depth of winter and that mm. whole, comparatively speaking, bleak period of the year, season of the year. So we, we lift up our spirits by having a party. As usual with the Irish, who said, when in the darker moments, 
the best solution is to have a party. <laughs> and I think that's a very fine note to leave it on, Ambassador. And I really appreciate your time and thank you for today. And uh, But really appreciate it. And thank you very much for sharing about the... Thank you. And, the and the best to, uh, to all your... To have a lovely uh, Halloween sound for you. And sound. Enjoy Halloween. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ryan. Okay. Oh, bye. Bye. Sloan.